Hi, this is Tim Venable of Coronet Global. I'm excited about today's podcast, which is the first in a five-part series in which we're partnering with ULI to discuss a topic of great importance to everyone in corporate and commercial real estate, getting to net zero in the built environment. I'm joined today by Marta Schantz, co-executive director of the ULI Randall Lewis Center for Sustainability in Real Estate, and Ben Myers, Senior Vice President, Sustainability, BXP. Marta will be leading the conversation with Ben, and today's focus is taking green leases to net zero. Thank you both for being here. Thanks so much for having us, Tim. Hi, everyone. My name is Marta Schantz. As Tim said, I'm the co-executive director for ULI's Randall Lewis Center for Sustainability and Real Estate. And for those unfamiliar with ULI or the Urban Land Institute, we are a real estate industry group across the globe with the mission to shape the future of the built environment for transformative impact in communities worldwide. And within our our Randall Lewis Center for Sustainability, we are all about building the business case for sustainability in real estate across decarbonization, resilience, health and equity, really a holistic take on sustainability and the business case behind it. Ben, how about yourself? Hi, Marta. It's a pleasure to join you. I'm Ben Myers. I'm the head of sustainability at BXP, which many of you know as Boston Properties. We've formerly rebranded to BXP. What does BXP do? So BXP is the premier workplace owner, the largest owner, developer, and manager of premier workplaces across the United States. We have a portfolio of around 200 buildings, 55 million square feet that breaks down about 85% office and life science and 15% retail and and residential. My role at BXP is to cover all of our sustainability initiatives, including energy emissions, water, waste, and and other issues around green buildings and green leasing. And so today I'm I'm really excited to share some of our perspectives on, on green leasing and how green leasing is evolving to help us achieve net zero outcomes with our clients. Fantastic. And we're so excited to be a part of this podcast series with Cornet on best practices and examples to bring owners and occupiers to net zero. I mean, collaboration, who better than ULI and Cornet to come together on this? And and Ben, thank you for being a part of the conversation. Uh, ULI has a net zero mission priority across our global organization to achieve net zero carbon by 2050 for the built environment. And as as many folks know, and, and Ben, I'm sure you do as well, tenants or occupiers can comprise well over 50% of energy use in a building. And so there's a real need to collaborate to address whole building sustainability across our industry. Absolutely. And there's a need to collaborate between owners and occupiers. We call them clients. They're also called tenants. Um, We have a science-based emissions target at the one and a half degree level. We've been a leader in climate action. We also are committed to carbon neutral operations by 2025. And when when I consider the immense changes necessary to achieve a net zero future, what I'm talking about is the action required to mitigate 50 billion metric tons of emissions globally per year, uh, we need to focus on the entities and individuals with agency. And that is the ability to control their behavior and consequences. And so there, I think, has been a little bit too primitive an understanding of the role of owners and developers of commercial real estate in their role in transitioning the built environment to a low carbon future. The the occupiers often are the ones with agency. They are responsible 
for much of the 40% of emissions from the built environment. I wish it was as simple as building owners solving the problem, but the truth is owners of commercial real estate are the stewards of these assets. And, and they're served by individuals and entities with even greater agency when it comes to emissions. And so the role of owners and developers is often influencing decarbonization upstream and downstream of the systems where they have direct operational control. So when I think about our emissions footprint, about 6% of it is scope one. So fossil fuels combusted on site, often in, uh, for heating hot water, in boilers, and also for backup generation. Our occupiers or tenants or clients control about 55% of our total emissions footprint. So we must collaborate with our clients and they're often invisible, but they have tremendous agency. And we need to work closely with them to mitigate the carbon associated with the operation of our assets. I love that. And you know, ULI has been looking at this owner-occupier split incentive for quite some time. The idea that a lot of times in at least spaces, the entity who often pays for improvements, the owner, let's say, and the entity who benefits from those improvements, sometimes the occupier who pays the utility bills, there's this split incentive between investment and benefits. And one of, there are a lot of different ways to, to go about addressing that and starting to tackle that, that split. And ULI is working through that and excited to talk about it on this Cornet podcast. We've got this five-part series of primers that we'll be releasing over the course of the year on best practices and examples to engage tenants in sustainability. And this first one that came out quite recently is around taking green leases to net zero, like Tim said. It's our focus for today. Love that BXP is really looking at this too. Uh, but quickly, before we jump in too deep, I do want to level set for folks who may not be familiar with green leasing. So a quick definition. Green leasing is the practice of incorporating sustainability or energy efficiency measures into leasing documents with a focus on realigning financial incentives in order for owners and occupiers to improve full building performance. It's meant to be a win-win where everyone benefits from these different collaborations and green lease clauses. Uh, and the thing is, green leasing isn't actually that new. It's been around probably a, a decade or more in, in some way, shape, or form. But net zero leasing is pretty new. The idea that net zero leases are, are further integrating net zero standards and clauses because a net zero lease, net zero is a long-term goal that is met. And every year it must continue to be met. So we can't have slips in terms of energy usage or performance or, or occupier activity it, we've got to keep meeting net zero and to maintain that status over time takes some extra intentional consideration in leasing. Absolutely, Marta, I couldn't agree more. Green leasing is very important to BXP because it overcomes that split incentive you mentioned where there is this failure to align tenants and landlords in addressing whole building performance, particularly energy and carbon. And when we talk, we're going to talk about building performance standards, I think today, hopefully a little mm -hmm. bit, we're going to talk about ESG reporting and data collection. When we're disclosing the performance of our portfolio and the company, we're talking about whole building performance. So the green lease form is meant to align the clients that occupy our buildings and BXP in achieving sustainable outcomes. We started integrating green lease terms into our leases over 10 years ago. And it started with the ability to recover costs made to improve energy efficiency 
that had been a major split between tenants and landlords where the landlord invests in a central plant, say, and the, the savings accrue to a tenant in the building, but the landlord sees no benefit. A landlord is disincentivized from maybe more accelerated improvements of the chiller plant or investing higher premiums in energy efficient equipment. That split incentive was a big deal. And so through that master lease form uh, language that allows us to recover costs, we can invest more CapEx in our buildings to keep them as high performance as we can. Another key term that we had integrated into our leases was a requirement for tenants to disclose energy use and another requirement to submeter high intensity equipment and the ability to pass through costs associated with building certifications. That was the beginning of green leasing. I think what we're talking about today is this evolution. Green leasing is, needs to evolve to keep up with the ambition of the industry to become more sustainable, particularly around carbon emissions and carbon performance. So how do we take these new goals that we have for the built environment and integrate lease language into the lease that helps us achieve those goals? And that's that's when, when we get to what I what we're calling the net zero lease. I love that, Ben. That's spot on. And before we jump into some examples, because I know these strategies and examples are really going to help cement it and give some folks ideas on what they can do. I, I do want to also clarify that this isn't just because owners have regulations to comply with or because owners have net zero goals. This is also because occupiers are desperately interested in occupying net zero buildings for healthier, sustainable space for their employees to meet their own corporate net zero goals, to achieve the data transparency and reporting that they're hoping to do as well. When I mentioned win-win earlier, I really do mean it. Like this is beneficial for the owners. This is beneficial for the occupiers. And as the industry moves toward net zero, there's just more opportunity to, to do that in a collaborative way. All yeah. right, I'll, I'll, I'll okay. hop off my soapbox, but yeah. you want one more thing? Yes, chiming in there. Yeah, Great. I've been reflecting on you know, the drivers of the work we do around sustainability and for a long time, policymakers, local communities were very vocal about what they wanted from the built environment in terms of decarbonization and energy conservation, water conservation, waste, et cetera. And we had a lot of engagement with local policymakers, the community, and also investors. And it wasn't until more recently that a lot of our clients are asking about what we can do for them and how we can work together to make our buildings more sustainable. So I think you're, you're right on there. Um, the clients are seeking low carbon buildings, they're seeking high performance buildings, and they're growing their teams internally to try to align their decision-making with their ESG goals and sustainability commitments. All right, well, let's get into some examples. In the, the ULI primer, this first one that we just released, we've got four different types of strategies that owners and occupiers are, are leveraging to achieve these net zero leases. So let's talk about the first one. It's around technology and efficiency requirements. The idea that seeking high efficiency technology opportunities in lease spaces, like around lighting power density, plug load density, and other elements of energy efficiency for the technology itself can make a big difference to, toward achieving net zero. What's BXP doing on that front? Well, I want to look at an example that we're working on at the moment with Wellington Management. They're a client mm -hmm. we've had for many years. We built Boston's first green skyscraper with them at Atlantic Wharf back in 2010. And they were 
a partner with us on that sustainability strategy and the anchor tenant at that building. Um, more recently, flashback about a, a year and a half ago, they were in the market for some space outside of Boston on the 128 belt. And we had a, a building for them in Needham, Massachusetts called 140 Kendrick Street. Like I was just saying, they brought many of their sustainability folks into the dialogue. Their senior management team was very focused on sustainability and Wellington's ESG commitments. And they wanted to know what they could do with the building to make it green. So we brought them a menu of options. We could do a green building retrofit, a deep green retrofit, or a net zero retrofit. Each had increasing level of ambition. And they decided with their team that they wanted to go all in on net zero and reposition the asset. So we looked at different net zero frameworks we could follow. We figured out architectural and mechanical improvements along with on-site generation and came up with a strategy that we call build tight, ventilate right, energize with sunlight. It was a three-part strategy that involved re-insulating the facade of this 20-year-old office building, building out a bunch of solar on-site, 1.3 megawatts, cutting the gas connection, so fully electrifying the morning warm-up with an on-site VRF system, and adding very advanced heat recovery to the building. And through those solutions, we were able to slash the energy use intensity about 50%. We were able to cut the carbon intensity down to zero. And we're also able to avoid a lot of embodied carbon associated with new development by reusing the existing structure. And that includes steel and concrete, which we, we know is, is a large driver of emissions from new development. That's amazing. I, I, before you jump into more details, let's just take a moment and appreciate the fact that BXP is based on client or occupier demand, retrofitting an existing building to be net zero. Amazing. Okay, please continue. Exactly. And we know that about 80% of the building stock we have in service today will be here in 2050. So one of the, the toughest nuts we have to crack is is how do we reposition existing buildings, you know, buildings that may only be 20 years old, like the 100,000 square foot building at, at 140 Kendrick Street that we're working on with Wellington. How do we address that building stock and how do we do it in a, an affordable manner that benefits both client and owner? And so with, with Wellington, we, we're doing this for the first time. This is a, what I'm calling a, a net zero pilot, but we think it's absolutely something that can scale. Some of the steps we've taken with Wellington, aside from agreeing to lead zero certification, is that we are developing a energy consumption and renewable energy generation data monitoring system. And we're working with Measurable on this. So we'll be able to validate net zero performance in real time using interval data, not only from the building, but also from the solar array and st energy storage that will be on site. And then pulling this full circle, this is all going into the leasing documentation? This, this is a, a verbal agreement on the data monitoring, but the, the LEED Zero certification is a lease obligation. Uh, other lease obligations include fit-up requirements, and this is where it gets tricky. Uh, you need to work very closely with your clients and their architectural engineering teams and facilities management to get comfortable with the hard requirements on tenant fit up. But for the fit up, we were able to get to a place where everyone was comfortable 
with a requirement in the lease to not exceed a lighting power density of 0.55 watts per square foot, which is quite low. A plug load density of 0.9 watts per square foot, also quite low. We included in the lease form requirements for advanced controls for lighting and plug loads, and also ventilation threshold and demand control ventilation control so that we were not overventilating the building. Now, I, I also wanna mention that when you're controlling ventilation carefully and you're trying not to overventilate, it's important that you're also preserving indoor air quality. So we have an active indoor air quality monitoring system. It's our standard that will monitor carbon dioxide, total VOCs, temperature, relative humidity in the supply air, the return air, and the outside air also in real time. And our building operators are, get threshold alerts if and when any, any one of those measurement parameters falls outside of acceptable range. I think a couple other things I'll just say is we, we had to make sure also that there were there was a shared understanding of the operating schedule. The mm -hmm. operating schedule of a building has to align with the energy model. Uh, we're targeting a sub 35 energy use intensity at this asset. And if we were to run um, overtime HVAC or run the building through the weekends, we would need to uh, align our energy model and energy performance expectations with, those run with that runtime. Uh, we also had a lot of dialogue around high intensity equipment and particularly gas cooking, uh, introducing natural gas cooking on, on a uh, net zero all electric building was not something either party wanted to do. And we mm -hmm. were able to uh, eliminate gas cooking from, from the project. You know, all of these different technical elements of a, of a net zero lease compared to a, a more traditional green lease, I, I love them. And I think they're just as you say, Ben, very replicable and very scalable. Thinking about lead zero certification, thinking about fit up requirements and specific lighting and plug load densities, as well as ventilation. But then also thinking about the broader co-benefits of net zero, like health. So looking at indoor air quality and making sure that the occupants are you know, productive and healthy and, and happy in the space. Uh, all of that together makes a, a pretty nice holistic take on, on technology and efficiency requirements in the net zero lease. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's let's talk about the next net zero lease strategy in our list, and that is around shared costs. And I know you mentioned that, that BXP has been looking at, at cost sharing for a good while, especially when making upgrades to base building systems. Uh, and so when it comes to net zero leasing, this is all about delineating which of the costs associated with maintaining net zero status fall on the property owner and which fall on the occupier, such as you know, the cost of energy efficiency upgrades, the cost of renewable energy credits, and this could be, for your example, with, with Wellington, a kind of major renovation, new construction type of project. It could be for a smaller existing building improvement you know, over the life cycle of a building. So can you talk through your plan for, for cost sharing within the net zero leasing language? There are standard business practices around the delineation of scope and the work letter in lease forms and how it breaks down between landlord and tenant, and often to relet a building over a long term, there are improvements that the landlord agrees to make. Sometimes it's common area improvements or a new lobby or something else. And, and the tenant has obligations as well around their, their fit up and, and the scope they'll do on their tenant improvement work within their premises. In this case, it was a net zero retrofit and there were premium costs 
I mentioned the envelope mm -hmm. insulation, the advanced heat recovery, electrification. These all had premium costs associated with it. There was work that we had to do as the landlord associated with the roof. The building required a new roof given the, the lease term and the 20-year-old age of the existing roof. We also uh, needed to replace air handling unit equipment. So there was work we were going to have to do anyways. But the, the added work we were doing, these premiums to achieve net zero, were a modest premium above what I would say would, would be typical landlord scope. And when I say that Wellington partnered with us on net zero, they absolutely partnered with us, not just on what they could and would build in their space, but also how they would share costs for premiums. And so Wellington agreed to cover the modest premium costs over and above the regular HVAC and landlord improvements. And those costs are included in their base rent over the lease term. It also included is the operational cost of green power, which is a pass-through operating expense. However, uh, we expect to deliver power well below retail costs to Wellington due to the 1.3 megawatts of solar we're building on site. And that solar is being delivered under two separate power purchase agreements. One, one agreement is for an, a solar array connected behind the meter on the building itself. And the second agreement is a larger solar array on a parking garage that's connected to the grid where the net metering credits will flow through back to Wellington. That's awesome. And I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about renewables for our, our fourth strategy. So maybe we'll put a pin in that one. But I think this, this collective strategy around BXP covering a, a certain amount and then having Wellington cover the, the small yet you know, non-zero incremental cost, it makes a lot of sense. And it's a really nice piece of that collaboration. Absolutely. It's an essential part of our, our collaboration. I think that you know, Wellington wanted it. We were willing to do it. I mean, it would be no different if a tenant were asking for an amenity that might be outside of standard practice, right? Yeah. Is, is kind of sort of an amenity, if you will. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's a real flight to quality right now too. So the amenity of net zero is very valuable. Now there's one, there's one piece of cost share we haven't talked about yet. It's a bit of an elephant in the room, especially in New York City, for example, with local law 97. Uh, and that's around building performance standards and fines associated with them. And so this certainly does not apply to a net zero building because it would be beyond compliance. But for those buildings that aren't, I, this is a bit more of a thought exercise around cost share and trying to understand if there's a fine uh, for a building not performing to expected level in terms of energy efficiency and, and carbon emissions. For the cost share on that, does BXP have a, a strategy for handling a cost share with the tenant for their role in that performance? Well, as we know, the emergence of building performance standards is relatively new. Mm -hmm. There haven't been many leases signed in the period in which these, during the period in which these building performance standard rules have been codified. In fact, some of the rulemaking is still going on in both New York with Local Law 97, Boston with Birdo 2.0, and certainly Cambridge with Budo, which is a little mm -hmm. bit further on. Um, but, but in general, um, I think there's, it's not fully resolved. Uh, I think there are discussions about how to share costs, and we've had some productive dialogue in some renewals and, and lease amendments around a, a concept of an allowance under mm -hmm. which tenant has a certain plug load density allowance and lighting load 
density allowance, and you look at those two and you and you assume a certain energy use for the space. And as long as the 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 tenant stays at or below that energy use allowed in their space, there's no exposure to uh, fines levied against the building. You set those levels based on the performance to meet the caps under the different performance periods. And so that also is, is pretty technical and complicated, uh, but it is something I think the industry needs to work through to come up with a fair and equitable way to distribute penalties, fines, et cetera, back to tenants based on the performance, their performance in their space and how much energy they're consuming and indirectly how much carbon um, is being calculated at the, the whole building level mm -hmm. as a result of that energy. I will just say on, on a, it's not all like fines, penalties, and, and uh, tough negotiations between landlords and, and tenants, owners and clients. It, there's actually a lot of positive here, I think. I think this is another um, concept, these, these building performance standards that are going to drive further alignment between mm -hmm. tenants and landlords in meeting whole building carbon reductions. In that vein, and thank you for that, we think about alignment, we think about measurement, we think about data tracking. And the third net zero lease strategy is all about data tracking. And when you're tracking relevant data, this is a key part of, of setting net zero goals as a building is working toward net zero or to maintaining net zero status if a building has already met it, right? Measuring progress, um, whether that's through installation of submeters, sharing access to utility counts. Can you talk through some of the work that BXP is doing around data tracking and, and net zero leasing? Sure. Well, we're doing GRESP right now. So data tracking is very much on the brain and, and our data management system has evolved through the years. And I think what has resonated with me the most is how important carbon accounting expertise is internally and how important the accuracy and precision of carbon accounting has become because of the increased stakeholder interest and also you know, the, the pending SEC climate rules, which will make mm -hmm. this data that's potentially furnished to the SEC and 10K filing. So carbon accounting expertise, accuracy, and precision have, have never been more important. Um, now, net zero tracking is a, is a new aspect of carbon accounting, and it's really looking at all the methods in which you're generating carbon and trying to figure out how your market-based emissions um, get mitigate that carbon. So there's location-based emissions and market-based emissions, and you need to make sure you have an accurate view on both. There's green power that's produced on-site and off-site that can help mitigate some of your, your scope two emissions. There's carbon offsets, which companies may or may not be procuring. We're, at the moment, we're not procuring offsets, but we intend to procure a small amount of offsets to achieve carbon neutral operations by 2025. And then there's everything you do around electrification. And just and we're looking at electrification as a way of reducing scope one emissions. But in some cases, you know, projects we're looking at, electrification today on, on a dirtier grid could mean an increased carbon intensity. And that's not, you hear that sort of thing, you're like, wait, wait a second, but you're getting rid of gas. Well, a lot of gas is used to produce electricity on the grid. And, and so it's not always a, a net benefit to a project. However, it will be right. a net benefit in, in a not too distant future. Uh, mm -hmm. And you don't get emissions from gas-fired equipment today. So I don't want to give anybody out there bad ideas. <laughs> 
don't go buying new gas-fired equipment if you can avoid it, because it will ultimately result in much higher carbon emissions at your buildings. But I think our, our data tracking system is going to evolve to give us a real-time sense of net zero achievement at the asset level and net zero achievement at the regional level and net zero achievement at the portfolio level, perhaps even broken down by asset type. So we're really trying to get more and more granular and drive more and more transparency around net zero performance so that our building operators are operating buildings, not just with the intent of reducing energy and energy-related operating expenses, but also reducing carbon. So when I think about data tracking, the real opportunity is to do this net zero performance validation at all levels of the portfolio down to the asset level to align operating practices um, with our carbon reduction targets. That makes a lot of sense. I like that big picture and then taking it down to the asset level, you've got to have data across the board and, and clearly net zero leasing clauses that ensure data sharing and data transparency between base building and, and tenant or, or occupier systems is, is key to that. So that's fantastic. One solution, Marta, that I, I'm seeing our engineers use in New York is prescriptive data is Nantum. And in Nantum, we can see real-time carbon performance and we can overlay you know, curves aligned with local law 97 so that an operator can see in real time whether they're meeting local law 97 requirements. That to me seems like something that uh, building owners will be doing a lot more of in the years ahead. Makes a lot of sense. All right, well, let's close out with our fourth of, of four net zero leasing strategies that owners and occupiers can use to advance their decarbonization. And that's kind of, as you mentioned, on-site and off-site renewable energy. Managing this energy source, the grid interactivity, for supply and demand and time of use and, and time of carbon emissions, thinking about contracting deals, details of those deals with renewable energy projects through net zero leases. I mean, properties cannot reach or maintain net zero status without some sort of renewable energy. And even as you said, for, for your Wellington project, what was it? Build tight, ventilate right. Energize with sunlight. Energize with sunlight. Here we are, strategy four. Yes, energizing with sunlight. We're doing a lot of that today. Uh, we have 13 megawatts of on-site generation that is either in service or will be producing by the end of 2024. We have so eight megawatts in service today with, with the growth of five megawatts in the pipeline. You know, what I'll say about renewable energy is that not all renewable energy is created equal. And it has different levels of visibility and impact, is it tangible or not? Does it have environmental impact? Can you verify that impact? What's the provenance of the renewable energy? For example, a national unbundled renewable energy certificate, a REC, may not come from a new facility, may not be identifiable, or may not be having the impact you think it's having. And, and it often becomes sort of a paper game, buying RECs to match power consumption, calling something net zero. That's been well and good, I think, for several years. And I would argue that there are a lot of benefits to rec markets for the development of renewable energy. However, uh, I think the landscape is shifting and it's shifting towards more on-site generation, more on-site storage, and also more off-site procurement of additionality, meaning mm -hmm. new capacity that was not already in service. So you know, the way I think about additionality, were it not for your investment, the system wouldn't be built. So you are causing new generation to come online through a long-term offtake agreement. And terms have come down from 20 years to 15 to 12 to, to 10 for virtual power purchase agreements. And we're 
in process of negotiating our first VPPA. I know quite a few of my peers that are also in the market for VPPAs, virtual power purchase agreements. And we have clients that are very interested in additionality sourced renewable mm -hmm. energy. And we wanna be able to del deliver additionality sourced renewable energy to our clients. There are and then and are you putting this straight into the lease where you're saying Wellington agrees to pay for X amount of, of power from the on-site solar panels? And how does that play into the agreement with your tenant? Yes, well, with Wellington, we have obligations. And I'd say it's more them wanting this mm. obligation in the lease to, to deliver a rooftop array that's connected behind the meter that serves them to deliver the garage canopy that will serve them and, and they will, and then we on their behalf will retire renewable energy certificates uh, to match the generation of those systems to achieve the net zero outcome. And there also is, I should mention here, although it's not related to renewables, an obligation with lead zero to buy carbon offsets uh, for transportation related emissions. So that's another thing we had to put in the lease and, and Wellington will be responsible for the costs associated with carbon offsets for transportation. Uh, they are so they are responsible for the costs associated with the the power from the solar facilities on the garage and the rooftop at 140 Kendrick Street. However, as I mentioned, we will be delivering that power below retail because the power purchase agreements are are priced below retail. So it's not a cost premium to the tenant mm -hmm. uh, to give them the renewable energy energy certificates in this case. I mean, that's a, a beautiful financial situation right there. That's terrific. People planet profit. People planet profit. All right. Well, I guess looking ahead, we we understand that green leasing, as we have known it for the past decade, is, is morphing and transforming into this concept of net zero leasing. And really, the way we see it now from ULI and, and likely from BXP is that net zero leases, like this lease agreement, this collaboration agreement is beginning to be the foundation on which any collaboration can occur between the owner and the occupier. This is around technology efficiency. This is around data transparency. This is around cost sharing. This is around renewable energy. And so altogether, I, personally, I am just so excited to see this uptake and this pickup across the industry and seeing interest and pressure and support from all stakeholders across the board, of course, owners and occupiers, but also we're seeing support for this from local governments with all of their climate policies. We're seeing support from this from local community groups. We're seeing support from this from investors who are seeking out green funds and green buildings and green spaces, moving toward that net zero goal always. So from my perspective, I think this is a terrific foundation and I'm so excited to hear that BXP is being a real leader on this front. Thank you, Marta. The landscape is shifting very quickly, and I would say that the sustainability leaders of yesterday may not be the sustainability leaders of tomorrow. And the green lease of yesterday certainly is not the green lease of tomorrow. And we are very interested at BXP in continuing to partner with our clients to achieve net zero outcomes. This is a, absolutely an emerging area that has yet to be codified as a standard real estate practice, but it is an issue that demands more early engagement from owners, partners, and clients during the deal-making process and throughout the lease term. And I am excited by the growing interest in our, in our client base in doing more net zero deals because it helps us achieve our goals and it delights them in return and it develops our relationship and we want to be there helping solve their problems. And that's that's the service we offer. We are in the service business. So net zero is a service 
coming to you. I love that. All right. Well, if I were to leave our listeners with one takeaway, it would be to read the primer that ULI put out on taking green leases to net zero. We've shared the document with Tim and the Cornet team, so I'm sure he'll tell you how to find it. Uh, and also keep an eye out for the rest of the series of our primers. They're going to cover the topics of data sharing and transparency for net zero, fit outs for net zero, behavior change to maintain net zero, and, and renewable energies in, in more detail. So, Tim, I'll pass it back to you. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, Marta. Ben, Marta, this has been so interesting, fascinating, really, and it's been great having you as our guest for this podcast. I really learned a lot, and I know our, our readers and our listeners will benefit, too. So thanks for sharing these insights with Cornet Global, and we certainly look forward to the next podcast in this series with ULI on getting to net zero. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim.